Looking back at life 100 years ago in Kilkenny, this is the History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. And a very good evening to you. You're welcome along to the History Show with me, John Moynihan, here on KCLR. I'm here with you, as per usual, until 7 o'clock as we rewind the clock back 100 years, looking back on the events and times in Kilkenny in 1922. I have an enjoyable show in store for you this evening, so I hope you can stay with me. Coming up on tonight's programme, researcher of Kilkenny military heritage and former commandant at James Stevens Barracks, Larry Skellen, appears again on tonight's show. This week he's bringing us on a tour of the museum at the Kilkenny facility. Historian Owen Swithin Walsh gives us his third and final piece of the 1922 timeline in Kilkenny as the Civil War gets underway. And some facts, firsts and inventions from around the world 100 years ago. So all that and plenty more besides to come on this evening's show, I do hope you can stay with me. As always, if you want to get in touch with the programme, you can text me on the KCLR text and WhatsApp line. That's on 083 306 9696. And that, of course, is in association with dinnersready.ie, or you can email the programme at thehistoryshow at kclr96fm.com. And our webpage is up and running, so you can listen live or indeed listen back to previous episodes of the programme on the KCLR website or on the KCLR app. Right now, though, we've got a break to take straight away, but when we come back, we'll be going on a tour of the museum at James Stevens Barracks. Uh, It's a museum that's existed since 2010, and it now incorporates... A lot of items uh, uh, which actually tell the story of Kilkenny's military heritage going back as far as the, the 1790s. Don't go away. Turning the clock back to 1922, you're listening to The History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. And you're very welcome back to the History Show on KCLR, the heart of Carlo Kilkenny. To begin this evening's programme, we're going to be hearing once again from Larry Skellen. Larry, of course, is a researcher of Kilkenny military heritage, excuse me, and a former commandant at James Stevens Barracks, who retired from the Defence Forces in 2012. Larry appeared on the programme last week, as he described in fantastic detail the executions of John Murphy and John Phelan at Kilkenny Barracks Jail 100 years ago. This week, however, Larry brings us on a tour of the brilliant museum at the Barracks, as he observes and describes some items of historical significance. So this is uh, the military museum uh, in James Stevens Barracks. This is our main room, our number one uh, main room. Our second room is currently under development for a new uh, exhibit uh, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the 3rd Battalion, which occurs in January next year. Uh, It's a museum that's existed since 2010, and it now incorporates a lot of items uh, uh, which actually tell the story of Kilkenny's military heritage going back as far as the the 1790s even, you know, right up until the the end of the emergency, almost. Okay, so, so the rifles, all the firearms that we have on exhibit are part of our collection. Uh, they would have come from a number of sources. Uh, no, uh, some of them come from uh, people who donated them locally. We have a number belonging to the War of Independence, and I'll show you some in a few minutes. And we have some that are, are here having been uh, decommissioned by the Defence Forces and offered to us as uh, exhibits 
for uh, into the future because it's important, right? That people can actually not just visualize what a firearm looks like. Sometimes it's important to get hold one up and actually know what it felt to be a, a 16 or 18 year old, you know, young private soldier uh, in, in, heading off to Flanders in 1914, 1916. And we, we actually tell the story of, you know, uh, Kilkenny's uh, Great War, for want of a better word very well in here in that we have a number of very important exhibits relating to that time and even we're standing here looking now at a a collection of replica medals belonging to uh, indeed and i see the victoria cross there even. yeah yeah so that's color sergeant john Byrne. uh john Byrne was from castle comer and he was born in uh, 1832 and he was awarded the victoria cross for actions carried out during the crimean war and we all know how relevant the crimea is today indeed do you know so so like uh, uh he then after winning his vc he was deployed with his regiment off to new zealand where he won the uh, distinguished conduct medal uh, and so he is a, a fine collection of six medals these are replicas uh, it's unknown actually where his original exists, except that there was a VC found in the River Thames a couple of years ago, which had similar initials on the back of it to John Burns, and that may be, I've never really followed up on it, uh, that may be actually part of his medals, because it is recorded that he fell on hard times when he retired. He he had an argument with a gentleman in a public house one night, and he they, there was a, an assault happened, and John knew he was going, probably going to look because at that time, if you were subject to a civilian court and, and sentenced to jail, you were going to lose all the pension entitlements associated with your medals of honour and that. And he thought that was going to happen and he ended up taking his own life. Uh, he was buried in a, an unmarked grave uh, until uh, the contacts were made by a number of people who started the museum here, one of them being a Mr Martin Barrett from Castlecomer, and they made contact with the Durham Light Inventory Association and they discovered where his grave was and it now has a proper headstone over in the UK. And there's a memorial stone to John Byrne actually on the side of, I think it's the Credit Union out in Castlecomer. Mm-hmm. So, so it links the whole story of a young guy being born in Castlecomer, County Kilkenny. Now, I've never been to New Zealand, and hopefully I'll make there someday, but he was there as a young man in a British Army uniform uh, and, uh, I suppose, imposing the empire on, on another part of the world, but that was of its time. Mm. And it's right, right that we reflect and remember, you know, John Byrne the same as we remember other people. Indeed, and I see there 1832 to 1879, if I'm not really mistaken. Yeah. 47 years of age, a young man. Yeah, he was a young man. But, like, you know, military life had its... It took a lot out of men at that time. But, he, you know, the reason he ended up dying so young was that he felt that he was going to be destitute, having, you know, getting involved in a faraka, uh, rightly or wrongly, we don't know, uh, and, and seeing that he was going to lose the honour of having his VC. Here we're moving into a collection of caps which really tell the story of the Kilkenny Militia. The Kilkenny Militia were formed in the early 1790s as a result of uh, an act of parliament uh, brought out by King George III because he was... uh, he had no. He needed more soldiers in Ireland, and he, uh, because of the penal laws and laws that existed, Catholics couldn't carry arms. So he changed the law, and now uh, Catholic soldiers could become part of the British Army. And he embodied thirty-eight regiments of Irish militia, Kilkenny Militia Battalion or Regiment. 
uh, became known as the 27th Regiment of Militia in Ireland. And that's a cap there from the, its Kilkenny Fusiliers times, which came into existence. They became the Kilkenny Fusiliers in the 1840s. So that's an original cap from the 1840s. These are their original colours from the 1801-1802 period. If you look close, you'll see Kilkenny Militia. Is and, and they're the original flags? Oh, yeah. yeah, they're 220 that's, years old. That's fabulous. Yeah, they, they, the dust flags uh, came to us by uh, uh, from uh, Dean Linus in, in St. Canis' Cathedral. He was very concerned. This is a number of years ago, and God, Dean Linus has passed away now. Uh, but uh, he, uh, <coughs> he wanted the flags to get... Uh, preserved or, uh, and presented to the, so that people could look at him and he felt that here was the, the right place and we have a, a number of other flags as you can see the Royal Irish Regiment uh, uh, and other flags uh, which are available to view here as well from, from the Kilkenny Militia becoming, evolving and becoming part of the Royal Irish Regiment which is what this cap leads on to the regiment, Kilkenny Regiment became the 5th Militia Battalion of the Royal Irish Regiment in 1881, and that cap there reflects that time. And then in uh, after Queen Victoria died, uh, uh, the regiment cap, uh, the cap badge changed. You can see yes. the change in the yeah. crown there. And from uh, and then in 1908 they become the special Fourth Special Reserve Battalion of the Royal Irish Regiment, and that's the re regiment that the guys from Kilkenny local area here head off and fight the Great War with in 1914. They, the 4th Reserve Battalion doesn't go overseas, but they are used as re reinforcement troops for the 2nd Battalion. And we see there um, a rather, rather large manuscript there, uh, the Leinster Advertiser, the Kilkenny Journal indeed. What, what's the relevance of this particular uh, piece? Yeah, that was uh, donated by uh, uh, some gentlemen here in Kilkenny a number of years ago. And funnily enough, within this is a full year's worth of the Kilkenny uh, Leinster Kilkenny Journal. And if you look closely and read bits, you'll see little articles about the Kilkenny militia through it. Like, we don't open the pages because it's quite, you know, uh, the, the, the paper would become damaged. So everything in here is held as best we can with, without direct sunlight and, and uh, low looks artificial light. So that sometimes it can be quite hard to read through the glass, but, but it's available to take out and for people to have, have a look at if, 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 if looked for. I see there that this particular issue, Wednesday, March the 24th, 1841. So, yeah, what's yeah. that, 100 and, well, well, 180 years old you're at least? Going, yeah, we're you're hitting. You're going well back there now. And, uh, you know, but like it's, it's, it's a nice piece of our social history. Most of these newspapers are available to, if you pay for the correct. Uh, you know subscriptions. Uh, subscriptions you can you can pick up these articles just another nice little item here this is a, a christmas box uh, sent by queen victoria to all the troops who were fighting in the boer war in uh, 1900 to celebrate the new millennium now we all remember the last millennium being the year 2000 we do uh, and this was 1900s version of of uh, of the gift that uh, that uh, i don't know lots of people got extra money in their wages and all for working the 31st of december 1999, if you remember. And, and was this only for servicemen? Yeah, yeah, soldiers who were fighting in the, over in, in the Boer War. Uh, there's no chocolate in that one, but some people still have them in their houses at home, you know, 100 year, 120 years later now. You know, with chocolate still in them, I advise not eating the chocolate. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wonder, yeah. I wonder why. This seems to be a, a battle reenactment uh, of some description. So, so, like, what we did here a few years ago was we decided to become uh, a bit more. How would you, uh, 
so people could view things. So this is so this is just a battle taken off the battle honours of that flag up there, uh, and it's called Maloplay. And this is a battle that the 18th Royal Irish Regiment were involved in Flanders in the 18th century. And this is the first uh, battle where Patrick Sarsfield's wild geese fighting for the French fight the 18th Royal Irish Regiment as part of the British Army. So this is, you know, just to show that, you know, Irishmen fighting Irishmen. It's happened a lot. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, when you talk about the militia, the Kilkenny militia, the Kilkenny militia and all the Irish regiments of militia formed over 68% of the British Crown forces who suppressed the United Irishmen Rebellion in 1798. Do you know? So that, in effect, was a form of a civil war too. But, you know, that's an Irish conundrum, isn't it? It's a problem we've, we've been good at. It. So, so now we're just drifting over towards uh, some of the relevant stuff from uh, the, the, the centenary of the takeover of the barrack, the military barracks here from the Crown Forces happened in February this year. And this is a collage or a collection of photographs that we've put together uh, showing, showing some of the personalities involved with that event. So if you look over in the top left, you see all the Kilkenny men who were arrested in 1916 after the Easter Rising. Uh, the commander was uh, Tom Tracy, and he's in there. And all other key, Kil Alderman Nolan is in there. Peter DeLucre is in there. Larry DeLucre. You know, I uh, I could name, keep naming names of the the guys who would become very influential, particularly through our uh, development of counterinsurgency war fighting during our War of Independence. Uh, so you see here, Tom Tracy, that's on his own. Peter De, uh, Peter DeLucre, who was also the mayor of Kilkenny, he became the but brigade commander for a very short period because his name was found in a notebook which was found in, on the possession of a gentleman at using the assumed name of Bernard Stewart in Inishtig uh, towards the end of 1920. Uh, uh, and that was uh, Ernie O'Malley. We've all heard of and Ernie's very famous uh, Irish Republican. But one of the mistakes I suppose he made during his career was that he allowed some very important uh, intelligence to fall into the hands of the Crown Forces after his arrest in Inishtig. And that meant then that this man here had to become the boss in Kilkenny, and that's George O'Dwyer. And George uh, led the Kilkenny Brigade throughout the most, I suppose, the heaviest war-fighting part of the War of Independence, the last six or eight months. George would go on to become a Chief Superintendent in Ongarda Siakana. And he's the gentleman who took the barracks over here on the 7th of February, 1922. And I just noticed in that photo there of all of the Kilkenny men that were arrested, as you say, 30 men. But what strikes me from that photo now is they all, the youth, I suppose. Yeah, there was, you know, there was, yeah, a lot of youthfulness there and a lot of guys that you wouldn't necessarily look like soldiers, do you know? And then I would say to you, Paulie Pierce didn't look like a soldier, or you know, or, or, no, but no, but like uh, the whole ideology around our revolutionary uh, uh, reawakening in 1916, 1914, 1916, you know, uh, it became an opportune time to strike for Irish independence. Given that uh, there was a, a war going on in Europe, and the people in charge of the Irish Volunteers saw it as being an opportunity to to take. And the guys who were in the Irish Volunteers were, were guys who had disassociated themselves from John Redmond's call to arms to support the Great War effort. And, and you know, they, they were youthful. They were a mix of youth. Older man Nolan was older gentleman, you know. But, but there was a good mix there. And but when looking at that picture there, you would say, they don't really look like soldiers, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. But them guys, when they came back, haven't been in... Uh, 
Frongok in, in Wales uh, for an extended period in 1916 came back with the concept of guerrilla warfare, which is what they were going to use in 1919 when the, the War of Independence started proper. Up here, this is Mrs. Hannah Murphy. She was the brigade commander of the Kilkenny Cumannamon. Now, Cumannamon in Kilkenny, right, hasn't been spoken about enough over the years. There were over 600 registered members of Cumannamon at the end of 1921. Uh, Cumannamon in general went anti-treaty and supported the Republican forces during the Civil War. In Kilkenny, they were extremely important to looking after the welfare of the uh, anti-treaty volunteers who were incarcerated in Kilkenny prison, do you know? Mm. Uh, and there's a whole other story to be told about them. This here actually is a butter dish uh, brought back from Lincoln prison by Peter de Lucre. And that butter dish is associated with fabricating the key that got De Valera out of Lincoln jail in 1919. Are you serious? Yeah, 100%. He, the foundry that he has had in New Building Lane, not only did it manufacture grenades during the War of Independence, previously it had fabricated a blank key, uh, which was manufactured to specifications sent back in a postcard in Christmas 1918. Uh, the key was sent out, it, not in its final, not t key turning finish, yes. but Peter then uh, done the fine tuning on the key using the butter dish to make impressions. Peter's uh, sister Winifred married a, gen a gentleman called Henry Mangan. Lieutenant General Mangan, the former Chief of Staff of the Irish Defence Forces, was a descendant of theirs, and when he retired from the Defence Forces, he handed us back uh, the butter dish here that, his, that Winnie de Lucre had received from Peter when he came back from Lincoln Jail in 1919. What an item to have. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I, if I, I'm just struck there by the uh, the grenades, yeah. and um, we see one indeed that's open here with a, yeah. some sort that's of... That's a training grenade, right? That's a Mills bomb uh, that would have been used. Uh, that, uh, so that... that particular one there was used to so show soldiers what would happen when you pull the pin for training purposes. The two alongside it then are training Mills bombs. The soldier would practice throwing because you can see they're drilled with holes and then they would get real ones. Now, I've seen an original Peter de Lucre grenade. Uh, it doesn't have the finesse that they have, but it's actually on display in Roadhouse. Indeed, and, and yeah. presumably they were used during the height oh, yeah. of the Civil War in 1922. Well, yeah, yeah, 100%, because the Irish Army had got a large consignment of supplies from the withdrawing British Army, and they would have left lots of Mills bombs here. And thanks once again to Larry Scallon for that thought-provoking tour of the museum at James Stevens Barracks. And just a reminder that... Larry, since his retirement, has endeavoured to develop some of the historical stories from bygone days in Kilkenny, and he's in the process of documenting them on a podcast titled Tales from the Barracks Walls, which will be released later this year. Right now, it's time for another commercial break, but don't go away. It wasn't inev inevitable at any time that the civil war was going to break out. Even in the days before us, you have some of the anti-treaty guys uh, at loggerheads over what to do. We'll be back with the third and final part of the Kilkenny 1922 Timeline series with historian Owen Swithin Walsh next. The History Show on KCLR with thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltox, Sport and Media. Tuesday nights from 6. This is KCLR's History Show. You're very welcome back to The History Show on KCLR. I'm John Moynihan. Now we turn to the final segment of our Kilkenny in 1922 timeline series with historian Owen Swithin Walsh. When we last visited the timeline, we heard about the War of Kilkenny and the general election that followed. 
As we pick up the timeline once again, we're in late June and the Irish Civil War is about to break out. And I suppose the Civil War breaks out um, at the end of that month after the pact election. And it really is, it really breaks out. Um, of course, we all know it breaks out on the 28th of June with the, with the shelling of the four courts and that. But I suppose it's just to be aware that it wasn't inevit- inevitable at any time that the Civil War was going to break out. Even in the days before us, you have some of the anti-treaty guys uh, at loggerheads over what to do. Um, you know, uh, Lynch, Liam Lynch, who would become the leader actually during the um, the Civil War of the anti-treaty side, he's saying, no, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be fighting uh, against our own. It just not, doesn't work. He was going to walk away. You had Tom Barry going, I have a solution. And he puts forward a motion that says, we won't, uh, the people in the four courts, let's not attack, um, you know, let's lot, lot, not attack our own former friends and brothers. Uh, let's actually attacked the British in Dublin. There was actually a British army barracks that still had British soldiers inside. And there's a few thousand soldiers inside, even in June 22. His idea was, we all have one common en- common enemy. Let's just attack them and we can all be friends again. So that's the, and his vote that was, uh, he put forward to the anti-treaty uh, kind of war council that nearly passed, you know, Tom Barry's vote wasn't too far off. So I suppose I'm just saying that, you know, lots of things could have happened in the days before the 20th of June. But of course, the big thing was the killing of Wilson uh, DMP uh, unionist uh, fellow who was assassinated over in London, which really drove Winston Churchill bananas, and he put pressure um, on Collins uh, to do something about it. So, um, I, and that's what kind of after the Civil War kicks off. When the first thing that happens in Kilkenny, the Grace Woodstock House, which I know you'll be covering later in the series, that is burnt down by um, the uh, the anti-treaty side. Now, that is something. That, uh, you know, it's not just to burn it down for the sake of burning it down. As we know, the auxiliaries, the infamous auxiliaries, A Company, were there during the War of Independence. They left in January 22, which was good for the people of the area. The Free State took over at the time. Well, actually, the kind of IRA, without being split up, took over initially. And then the Free State took over in April, we call it, the Free State side. But as soon as the fighting breaks out in Dublin on the 28th of June, the troops from... Uh, Woodstock are called back up to Kilkenny. Some have to go up to Dublin to help the fighting up there. Some have to garrison the barracks in Kilkenny. So they don't have enough manpower, basically, to um, uh, to protect Woodstock. So they just leave us. That allows the anti-treaty to come in on the 2nd of July, just a few days later, and burn it to the ground to basically stop the Free State forces from re-garrisoning in it. And that's basically um, what... The, and that was their orders. It's to burn down any... Um, you know, national orders, that's their orders, anti-treaty side, burn down any premises that could be used as a free state garrison. And Woodstock House is burned down, much to the sadness of the Thai family, of course, even though Viola Thai had mostly been uh, in England in these years, but Woodstock was associated with Lady Louisa Thai up to 1900s, very well-liked matriarch of Woodstock for 75 years and very well-liked locally. Her... Uh, her grand nephew in law was actually the guy who inherited the house, and he had actually sadly got murdered in in a, in a botched robbery in England uh, a few years before this. And then if that wasn't enough, poor Viola, her uh, the house is destroyed. So, uh, and that and that's kind of the end of Woodstock House. And what with the shell we see there, still when we go in to walk around those lovely gardens and, or go in the playground and all that, uh, that as being a shell there for at least um, 
a uh, hundred years now. So there's lots of kind of things happening there. The amount of kind of casualties you had of just young Kilkenny people, mostly young men, between kind of the last week in July and the first three weeks of August. You know, it's kind of one week after another, something is happening. It's, it's very, very sad, I suppose. First up, Sam Oakes is killed, shot in the back in Kilkenny City, where he's in a pub. Now, uh, he probably was helping his family were kind of, one was on one side and some of the family were on the you know, protege side, some were on the entry side. But Sam is shot in the back by a Free State soldier who are kind of raiding the premises or raiding the bar there. And that was a big controversy in Kilkenny, a young lad only in his early 20s to, you know, to shoot someone, especially a young lad unarmed, you know, a shot in the back. It's always a bad sign. And um, that caused huge consternation in Kilkenny. Uh, and then you had like kind of even in the first bits of fighting that took place, lots of um, the Kilkenny uh, Free State guys had to move down to Waterford and attack Waterford in South Kilkenny uh, from South Kilkenny and attack uh, Carrick on Shore then in the first week of August. And in the first week of August, this poor young lad from Wexford, Pat Murphy, who's only 21, he gets killed and that was at the Pilltown side of Carrick on Shore on the Kilkenny side, which still be in, in Piltown Parish, at Three Bridges there uh, near Tinvane House. So uh, uh, another young lad died. And then we have another guy from Port Tipperary. He's Ed Marr, but he's on patrol with the Free States up in um, Crosspatrick, up around that neck of the woods in North Kilkenny, Johnstown area. He accidentally gets shot because a gun of his comrade uh, goes off when they hop into a lorry or hop down from a lorry. You know, so, and again, this is, bits of the stories intertwined in here very young people not really trained in arms as such and then certainly with the free state side a lot more guns going around as well so you have these accidents taking place and then one of the saddest stories joe bergen he's from skahana at toy castle comer there his mother's a teacher there in the local school uh she uh, sorry he is um uh, killed in an ambush that happens in South Tipperary, just outside Clamel, and he uh, is killed instantly in a massive ambush. And the day of his death is actually his 21st birthday. So really, really uh, horrific stuff. Two Waterford people die in Kilkenny, you know, so we weren't endearing ourselves to the people of Waterford back in 1922. One of the most controversial was Sean Edwards, really, really well-liked uh, IRA young guy from uh, Waterford Sissy, he is shot as he's talking to someone out the window in Kilkenny Jail. This happens a few times. Now, what happened with Kilkenny Jail is long since gone now, it's gone since the 40s, but the jail used to, one of the wings used to face the road. So it was possible to give messages in, throw messages in the window even, or to shout down to people out in the street so he could deliver messages. And that's what a lot of these were doing. Sean uh, Edwards was talking to someone on the street. The young Free State soldier who's meant to be, uh, you know, looking after them or act, acting as prison wardens gets really kind of tick and he's like, get off, the, get away from the window, get away from the window. And the likes of Sean are going, you know, you know, you basically, you know, pee off, you know, I don't want anything. I'm not listening to your orders. And um, this young lad, you know, again, as young people, young lads with guns probably lost their head a little bit and he fired a shot at Sean, but actually hit him in the side of the face and he died uh, pretty soon afterwards and then another poor lad from Waterford Sissy happened to be catching a lift basically from Waterford Sissy uh, up the up the Carrick on shore onto Clamel with the Free State Army who are moving that direction because that's where the war is moving and Kilkenny's at the forefront 
of the civil war in the early weeks because it's breaking into the Munster Republic from South Kilkenny uh, into Carrick and and into Waterford. But this guy is taking a lift because he wants to enlist in the Free State Army. So he's hopping with the Free State soldiers, leaving from Waterford, going up the hills in Munlevas, the back road into Carrick and Shore, and he's shot in an ambush at Rochestown Hill at 34-year-old John O'Keefe. So another guy, so in the space of a few weeks there, you have lots of people um, and killed. Richard Cantwell, another one from Clock uh, County Kilkenny, uh, is killed in Tip. So it's very much uh, it goes straight in, and, and like these deaths are coming one after the other after the other. And something that maybe even wasn't the case in the War of Independence, you wouldn't have been hearing this much action, this much upheaval. And that's one of the things I think we should kind of put across in that the upheaval of the civil war is nearly on a higher magnitude than the war of independence because yes the british soldiers are annoying and they're going around raiding houses but kind of day-to-day life with business transactions that kind of thing that went by and there wasn't a huge amount of fatalities uh compared to the civil war where especially in the early weeks one after the other you were guessing uh people killed uh in the civil war and then you got the likes of the train lines been blown up and the train lines have a huge effect all around Ireland and the anti-treaties are blowing these up to, to curtail the free state. But they're also stopping people's traveling arrangements, of course, but they're also stopping all the deliveries, the deliveries of newspapers, of goods that moved all around the country were stopped. So it very much affected the people. I suppose from the end of August right through to December, just to cover off 1922, it's very much a guerrilla war. It's very much like the way the War of Independence uh, ended up, where you have anti-treaty attacking the free states, usually using guerrilla tactics. And again, that's what they had to do. On the free state point of view, they are arresting anyone with even a sniff of anti-treaty a feeling, men and women. Uh, the free state arrested more women, multiple times more women uh, than the British ever did. And it was because they knew the power of women in delivering messages and delivering ammunition and in looking after the anti-treaty, especially the, the coming among looking after the anti-treaty prisoners all around rural Ireland. And so you had this um, kind of attacks and dispersals, but lost of anti-treaty guys are rounded up so as the weeks progressed some of the main leaders uh, were arrested and also lots of them had to move around in columns they couldn't go home anymore which is something they probably could have done during the war of independence but you are so well known now so your enemy now knows exactly who you are or what you look like because they were a lot of the time your former friends so that idea of hiding in plain sight you can't do it anymore because everyone knows who you are so it became very much a um a guerrilla war moving around in large columns the anti-treaty side as the free states tried to arrest them and attack them and a lot of the free state sides were um people that wouldn't have had much experience in fighting they mightn't have fought in the war of independence they might have fought in the first world war they would have enlisted and a lot of them would have done it for economic reasons because the free state was obviously paying something the ire IRA never did. Um, so this, uh, you know, this idea and that was something of the what the anti-treaty side would have been angry with. They'd say, you know, some of these guys, they never fought in the War of Independence. But as soon as they were willing to get money for fighting, they're willing to throw their gun on their own Irishmen. So you had a lot of these things. So it made it easier for, I suppose, anti-treaty guys to turn the gun and uh, shoot at them. Uh, the first guard killed on Juicy um, when he actually went to Mulnahone to buy a uh, few Harleys and Slitters. His name was Henry Phelan from Leash. He was based in Callan. And again, he was held up uh, in Mulnahone because they thought 
they had guns or they had something that would be useful by the, some of the anti-treasy guys. And gun went off, they said accidentally, but anyway, Henry Phelan died, technically the first guard to be killed on Juicy, and he's remembered in all the Garda commemorations. And I suppose then, just to finish off the year then in 1922, it kind of looked like we were kind of it wasn't going to end because the anti-treacy side actually rose towards the end they got it certainly more um umph after uh the free state started to execute so a lot of people said that was a, a step too far and the anti-treacy side got a lot more sympathy after the free state started to execute the likes of the um uh, the four prisoners like rory o'connor but also erskine childers on the national sphere and then uh in the middle of december and the 14th 15th of december 1922 dramatically in kilkenny they took over three free state barracks all in one night very uh, strategic move took over callan thomastown and Munnavas. Got, got all the uh, the um, Free State uh, prisoners arrested or cooked them captive, I should say, tied them all up for a being, took all their guns, which was the main re reason, and had the, you know, they had, they had the uh, success of capturing a Free State Army barracks. Now, some of them, they actually just walked in because they tricked them into opening the door and that kind of thing. But it very much was uh, a huge blow to the, to the Free State side in Kilkenny and on the national stage because it was kind of embarrassing. Uh, the way the way it happened uh, and very strategic and very well worked by the anti-treaty side with the result then that a few weeks later and this being between Christmas and New Year on the 29th of December 1922 very sad event occurred at the executions in Kilkenny military barracks these are the only two executions in Kilkenny during the civil war and they were the first uh, executions outside the Curra or Dublin so Kilkenny was at the start of that. There was a lot of guys of their calibre arrested throughout uh, the Civil War in the months before it. So the fact that these two were picked out probably was just unlucky timing because, you know, if you're comparing their, you know, crimes as the Free State would see in raiding houses and taking money and looking for arms, lots of anti-treacy people around Kilkenny and beyond were doing the same thing. So I just think they were very unfortunate. Um, and I think that it was, you know, they, they Kenny had just been embarrassed two weeks before with they taking over the barracks. So they didn't want any of the anti-treacy supporters getting kind of, a, you know, a positive bounce off that. So, um, uh, and, I, and it was, a, you know, the government in Dublin, the free state government in Dublin as it was then, were pushing these execution policies. So unfortunately for them, John Murphy, only in his 20s, uh, John feeling uh who was married with kids um in the early 30s they were executed in the early hours of the 29th of december 1922 historian owen swithin walsh there closing out our 1922 in kilkenny timeline making reference at the end there to the executions at kilkenny military barracks a moment in our local history that we, of course, brought to you here last week on the programme and you can listen back to that and all of our other previous episodes on the KCLR website or on the KCLR app. It's time for our last break of the evening. Do stay with us. Exploring the lives and events of 100 years ago in Kilkenny. The History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. You're listening to The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan. 
And you're very welcome back to the fourth and final part of the History Show. Well, the clock is against us, unfortunately, so we'll have to come to our Facts About 1922 segment next week. That's just about it for this evening's episode of the History Show. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll join me again at the same time next week. As always, feel free to contact me at any time on our email address, thehistoryshow at kclr96fm.com, or you can listen back or listen live to the episodes on the KCLR app. But until next week, it's a very good evening for me. Thanks for inviting me into your homes as always Owen Carey is up next with Fully Loaded and we'll play you out with, out with Liam Clancy's version of The Croppy Boy a song that we mentioned in last week's segment on the Irish Peasant Songs of 1922 until next Tuesday from me John Moynihan it's good night and God bless It was early, early, all in the spring The birds did whistle and sweetly sing Changing their notes from tree to tree And the song they sang was all Ireland It was early, early, all in the night The yeoman cavalry gave me a fright The yeoman cavalry were my downfall I was taken prisoner by Lord Corn I was walking up Wexford Street My own first cousin I chanced to meet My own first Turning the clock back to 1922 You're listening to The History Show on KCLR With thanks to the Heritage Office of Gulkenny County Council And the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media